I'm Dan Walters. And I'm Anthony Peters. This is the No Ideas Podcast. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is immense. Oh, lovely. <laughs> oh, how are you getting on back there? I'm alright. <laughs> we'll get a picture of your trainers at the end of this. Yeah. I, don't, I just don't know what I was thinking. I think it's because I knew I had to work in these shoes all day. Oh. I should have just brought some, just put my walking boots in my bag. Oh well. I've got a moth trailing me now. <laughs> All the excitement of the woodland. It is. Number light. Welcome back to the No Ideas podcast. It's been a little while, um, but what you've just heard is a field recording from today's episode um, with Jasper Goodall. So Jasper is a nocturnal photographer, a senior lecturer and an ex-illustrator living and working in Brighton. Um, He's best known for his editorial work that he did with The Face magazine um, in the early 2000s. But in 2014, he left the world of commercial illustration um, to pursue a different path. He, he basically um, he had a big name in illustration, done a lot of amazing commercial work, but didn't feel there was anywhere left to go. And this is something we explore during the course of the interview. It was what drew us to him yeah. in the first place, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, this idea that you can completely leave something, and he thought he was never going to come back, and then find a whole new career somewhere else. He also spent um, several years training as a counsellor at the Psychosynthesis Trust in London. Which he talks about a lot as being a main part of the process of him finding his photography yeah. work, which is the the other main reason we're speaking to him is because um, his photography work is absolutely phenomenal, really. It's eerie, it's spooky, he shoots in the middle of the night, and we highly recommend that whilst listening to this, you first go to his website mm. or to his Instagram um, and check out the work because it will give you a much better insight as to the field recording part of this show. Yeah, and I think it just um, it just puts what we're talking about in context as well. Oh, and apart from the fact they're absolutely stunning images, um, and there's just so much to look at in them, isn't there? Even even though they're dark. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> it, there's something like calm about them, but mm. also like sometimes they they're reminiscent of sort of spooky horror films as yeah. well. But they're just like phenomenal pictures. And just to know what it's like to be a photographer in the middle of the woods on your own, yeah. like at night, just, um, yeah, it was a really, really great interview. Yeah, and, um, you know, we decided this episode would be fun to try something different as well. So the second half, we do go out into the woods with him. Um, and that was an interesting experience, wasn't it? First half, we were in his camper van in the car park, in a country car yeah. park in East Sussex. Um, and the second half, we were out in the woods. And I don't think, I don't think I've ever been in the woods at that time of night like you know in the middle of nowhere no so we and we asked jasper about like which yeah. animals he's come across yeah. uh we did come across a whole load of deer and and i don't know the whole thing was quite magical but it, it was also 
I'm normally scared of the dark, but I wasn't no. frightened at all. It's actually a really peaceful, placid place. It was. It was beautiful. Um, yeah, and it, I guess it makes you look at the dark in a different way. Really, we were just we were kind of staring into nothing, weren't we? And uh, listening a lot more and stomping through some puddles, and stomping through and, puddles. Uh, crunching along and I mean overall this is just one of my favourite episodes in a long yeah. long time just well, we, have, so- we haven't done one in a long well, time well that's true <laughs> <laughs> but he was telling us all about different trees he was stopping at different trees along the way to the tree we were actually visiting wasn't he and giving us a bit of an insight and we were asking him what trees were and he knew every single yeah like variety how he? he locates them and yeah. also how he became interested in sort of the night time and trees in, in themselves. Yeah. Like there's actually a long story to it. There's a long backstory where it does connect to his illustration work. Yeah. So we'll leave you to listen to the first half of the show now. Um, hope you enjoy it. Hope you're not scared of the dark. <laughs> it was all right, wasn't it? It, wasn't it, was, it was. It was fantastic. And um, on the field recording, obviously, we're crunching around in the woods a bit. So uh, the volume goes up and down a bit and you have to put up with the crunching of feet. But I think it really adds to the overall mood. Yeah. So I hope you get the the, uh, the feeling that we did when we were there. And yeah, enjoy the show. Okay, great. <laughs> um, so have you have you always been drawn to dark places and woodland? My friend would, my best friend would say yes. He 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 says I've got a sort of morbid streak to me, um, and I think woodland has been a very important. I've always loved woods, something sort of enclosing and close about them that I've always enjoyed, and, and I suppose like big landscapes become a little bit more boring. I sort of like things to be a bit more close up. There's something more picturesque about it or something, mm. but. One of the things I, one of the things that sort of started the ball rolling with this current work, was a memory um, of going on holiday with my mum, because she would never be organised enough to set off early. Would turn up, would turn up to wherever we were going, some remote place in the countryside, quite late, and it would got dark. And I remember, I can really clearly remember one, one of these journeys. At the end of this journey, we were going down country lane like the one we've just driven down to get mm. here with all these I don't know it was probably in North Wales or Devon or somewhere like that and it was yeah this going down a wooded lane with the uh, you know the headlights on full beam and there's just these kind of tree trunks kind of coming over and they catch the sort of light and then there's this just blackness beyond and there's these, as these sh- sort of shadows kind of move as the car goes past and I remember me and my sister sitting in the back and kind of having this like oh scary shivery delightful yeah. sort of feeling and we even we called it dark treeophobia that's <laughs> we, we, we gave a name to this feeling right. of like this sort of so excited scared uh i don't know what you'd call it but i guess it's the sort of thing you feel like when you're watching a horror movie or something but it was like sh- sort of us shivering with delight in the back seat looking out and going look at that so i think that that memory is uh, um is quite a strong one um, and was maybe a s- part of a seed for it because I remember working I remember working at university on a screen print that was um, a guy had broken down da- like I imagined a picture of a guy who'd broken down 
and he was his car was underneath some um horse chestnut trees and you know they've got those big sort of lobed leaves that almost look like fingers mm-hmm. and that was like so i was there was a street light illuminating these hand like, like hand like leaves and he was kind of leaning over his broken down car so even then like when i was must have been like 20 at university i was interested in this idea of being lonely broken down on a desolate road somewhere and so i think those motifs of stuff have kind of come back to me again and also then the print i did was um a woman on her own in a phone box on brighton seafront and it was a, like a storm so it was right. like wind and rain and she's just illuminated and she's on the phone so it's like this idea of people being sort of on their own somewhere either lost or some form of peril going on and it's dark and it's just some form of artificial light so it's been there for a long long time and f- long long time forgot all about it until yeah. it sort of came back in a new form only a few years ago i suppose how old were you um when you went on this countryside sort of journey with your mum and sister probably nine or ten eight nine i don't, don't really know i mean it's just a long old memory but i can i can see myself sort of sitting in the back of the of the car and jess is sitting next to me because I'm, I'm often fascinated by um which parts of those are sort of primal and which parts of those are cultural like whether you would have seen anything in those sort of nine or ten years that that gave you this excitement and fear or whether it's something deeper well i do think it's a bit of both because i think you know um there are those sort of i'm I'm quite intrigued by those i guess they're 80s well any 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 time there's a scene in a forest in a movie of any mm. sort. It's just like really ridiculously bright because obviously you can't feel it's pitch black and, and to be realistic it would be just completely dark. But there's always this sort of like mist in the background and some sort of light. You're like, oh, is that mysterious light coming from in the, in this wood? <laughs> this completely unrealistic wood. So I think you know there's stuff like Close Encounters and ET and yep. things like yeah. that where you're like, you know, there are those scenes in the woods which are sort of misty and eerie and you know I think that trope has been around i mean i think it's even so i think those tropes are primal anyway yeah right you know i think i think we can we could talk about horror movies in the 80s and 90s and, and even now but i think that though that idea of the sort of dark forest goes back millennia really. yeah all, all the the fairy tales yeah. the hans christian anderson things it's, they're all about being lost they're all about being yeah. alone or the threat of nature yeah so yeah, you're absolutely right. I've never really connected those things that far back, but yeah, they go back to fear and survival, don't they? Yeah, I think early you, civilizations. You know, you're, ne- you're never going to not have the trope of horror movie. Someone's in the woods and it's dark, and it's always going to be a threatening thing. And that goes back to well, goes back to when we were, you know, having campfires and there were actually wolves and bears and robbers and bandits and people that would murder you and all that sort of hiding out in the woods and. You know, I think it's um, something incredibly primal about about that, um, and I think that's why forests are so. I think that's why you know your you know you've been talking about being a bit afraid of the dark, and there's something quite intriguing about coming out today, and that's what's going to be re-energized in in anyone really that goes out there. It's just like fuck, I can't see anything. There could be anything there, at which point your imagination just gets the upper hand and any rationality that you have of like, you know, you're grown up and you know 
th th realistically there's not going to be any anything or anyone there mm. but then you don't really know and when I was tr well we'll get onto that maybe later maybe I'm getting ahead of myself but there was part of the, the um, counselling training that I did I remember there was a really important um, statement that the the um, the guy that I'd kind of um, instigated the whole particular um, type of, of counselling that I was studying he'd said that the imagination is the most powerful psychic force that there is and that would take overtake any form of rationality or anything else it's like your imagination is like the the key prime mover and that, that you really know that when you go in the dark i think yeah were you were you ever scared of the dark yeah i think to some extent i, I still am to to little degree i mean it's not entirely comfortable I mean, I've got loads more comfortable. When I first started going out, I just really didn't like it at all. I know I'd, <laughs> I'd go out, I'd go out, and I'd, I'd have to say there was this mantra that I'd say, like, "This is my work. This is my work. This is what I'm going to do, and I have to do this." And then um, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd be quite focused taking the photograph. And when you, you know, when you actually sort of, you know, you set your camera up, set the tripod up, and you're lighting the scene, you, you're just kind of very focused on doing that um and then when that bit's over and you're going to walk home that's when I start getting scared actually and quite often I'll ring up my wife and like just chat to her on the on the way home just mm. because it's like you know I don't know you hear things in the yeah. you know deer probably or whatever but um it's not comfortable no do you think you're occupying that imagination that you just talked about you know the the subconscious and the imagination by speaking to her you're occupying it to the point where it can't spiral out of control yeah i think there's just something i mean not you know not that being on the phone would stop an axe murder or anything but um it's just yeah you, that's it you're just kind of some form of diversion from that mm. um overactive bit i mean i i don't anymore it, it, i definitely have got used to it to the to the extent where I still get shocked, you know, like if a pheasant jumps out or a deer jumps <laughs> they out. Make whatever, they make a crazy noise. They make a crazy noise and I do sometimes <laughs> shit myself and immediately have a heart attack. And go, oh my God. But, you know, lots of the weird noises that I would hear, I've worked out what they are now. Yeah. Um, so on the whole, there are, there are bits of woods that feel sinister mm. that I don't like. There are certain places and I don't know why. Like even if, like, there's one wood... And one bit of it feels all right, and another bit of it over a different dip, mm, or, you know, wow, in a okay. different valley doesn't feel okay. And and sometimes I just pack up and go home because I don't feel particularly comfortable. But wow, on the whole, I'm all right. Even the place, well, the places people say are haunted are usually all right, actually. Like yeah, Wisman's Wooded Dartmoor. I didn't feel people say it's haunted by the devil, but even though he broke my camera, <laughs> smashed my lens, I would say. <laughs> The devil did it, but, um, <laughs> but I didn't feel particularly scared there. It was all right. I felt quite okay there. Um, so you, you've talked about uh, imagination. Did you have a vi vivid imagination as a kid? I think so. That's a really hard question. No, I definitely did. No, no, I definitely did. And I think, unfortunately, I think I've lost it. I mean, I used to, I used to be able to sort of sit in the back car, in the back of the car. I don't know what I keep talking about the back of the car for, but no, that would be a time when you were sort of doing nothing mm. very much and long journeys. And I could enter into, yeah, entire epic, long, sort of fantastical 
internal movies. Yeah, amazing. Seems to not happen. I mean, I don't know when it stopped, but I guess sort of late twenties, early thirties, I suppose. I noticed that changing, and I don't really know why. I don't really need to know why, but I mean, it's a shame. I feel like, I feel like it's a shame, but. Um, I used to be able to hold threads of things, so it'd be like watching a film in my head. And now I just get my my brain's a bit more like a butterfly, and it goes all over the place. Yeah, I don't yeah, tend me to. Too. I can't sort of hold on to those threads so much. I occasionally um, walk myself around houses that I've lived in in the past. Yeah, which that's I, good. I think I read about it as a memory trick, but like I just do it because I quite enjoy. It's nice, isn't it? Trying to remember. And well, I think if there's, a, if there's a thing that can hold you like that, like, because you're actually, you've got a purpose there and and there's like, a, it's like holding on to a thread, isn't it? Mm, and you keep totally. moving and and that's once you're held. So again, this comes back a little bit to the psychosynthesis training, actually, is we did a whole weekend on on the creative use of imagination in in therapy. Right. And there are guided visualisations that we did there that... Um, because you've got someone with you and they act like an anchor so they might be just literally saying well what are you seeing now every few minutes they might say what are you seeing now and you might be you might be reciting to them or not yeah you're reciting to them what you're seeing in your head because there's that person there and you're telling them that acts like that thread that you can hold on to and you can um you can have extremely vivid experiences in what i guess would be called a hypnagogic state i think okay um, I used to be able to do that on my own. Now it would require somebody to be sort of there with me, talking me through stuff. So they're sort of guiding, pulling things out of your memory by helping you to, to move in a line through a memory or? Well, not necessarily a memory, not even a memory really. Just idea, like, or? you might say, I mean, you could even, you could say something like, um, you could give someone a cue and say, you're in some kind of outside space close your eyes and tell me what you see and so you've been given a little seed amazing and then you just go well you know i can see a barn and then there's some sort of trees next to it. this is what i'm seeing right now yeah. and um and then you, they might ask you to look at what the floor looked like and then you'd look down and some part of your head would decide that mm. it had sand on it or yeah whatever on it and you'd say oh yeah there's sand on the floor and then you'd say what's the weather like and they go oh it's really cloudy and windy or whatever because you're brain would just immediately give you something yeah and you, you you know encourage not to sort of second guess it and so i suppose um during one of these this was when like when um i was doing my training my sister was diagnosed with cancer um she's two years younger than me it was horrific she has she at that point had two she had twins two-year-old twins and um she lived down the road from me and it was just like the worst thing I've ever been through in my life and um, this particular weekend um, I was doing the psychosynthesis training and um, I was sitting with a woman um, who I was training with and she was helping me through one of these guided visualizations and I saw myself as a kind of beaten up like medieval soldier he would like come out of battle and I was like like in a field in England you know oh, yes. <laughs> after the yeah, battle so yeah. like blood all over me and like a beaten up armour and I'd lost my helmet and I was sitting on a tree stump and I knew that there was like another battle it wasn't over there was more battling to do And but behind me was this line of totally 
dark fir trees. And I remember in the visualisation, I just went up into them. And it was just like so, you know, that when you're really enclosed in those like dense, dense yeah, fir forests yeah. and the pine leaves, pine um, needles are just form this really sort of soft carpet. And just went in there and wanted to go to sleep just as a retreat. Because the sound is always damp. In yeah, and it's really, well. really calm. And it might be... And I, I always used to... I mean, it's, this is, again, it's like regenerative fantasies, actually, because I used to have a fantasy when I was younger about um, a storm happening and being inside a hollow, big hollow oak tree. And it was dry and warm. And I was in a dark wood and there was like a torrential sort of storm. Hmm. But I was okay because I was inside this oak tree. And I used to... And it's a bit like that feeling. I don't know if you know this feeling, but like that feeling of like it's raining outside but there's a fire and on yeah. in the grate and it's wind that the rain is against the windows yeah, but you're that. inside is that feeling of yeah. like and then sometimes when the warm air and the cold air mix you know that that's yep. extra good when yep. <laughs> um, if the windows just a little bit open and you get that mixing of air and you feel that sense of oh i'm inside i'm secure but there's something bad happening out there yeah and it was a it was a reiteration of that sort of feeling um being in this pine forest and then the wind was blowing the tops of the pine but i was just sleeping and it was that i think that image that kind of i didn't do it conscious it didn't happen consciously but i think it slowly sort of pulled me towards going to the forest and trying to find or trying to trying to take a photograph that was that feeling of being in a dark quiet pine forest wow and i didn't intentionally go right i'm gonna go and take that photograph but i'm sure so i believe in kind of unconscious talismans so you might have some Im- image an image as a, as a talisman in your head that's slowly directing you without really you really knowing it you know i think most people that would recognize most artists would recognize the feeling of doing something and not really knowing why and then yeah. working out later oh yeah it must be that and yeah. that's very much how i feel about what i'm doing now is that, like i connect back to all these different iterations of these sort of feelings of retreating or enjoying being afraid but also the idea of hiding in a dark wood and those kind of things that that definitely sort of feel like they're directing and manifesting the work I'm doing now. Do you feel like you're more true to following that that inner compass than you've ever ever been? Yeah totally yeah like all the work I ever did never really felt like me I mean, we could get into why I sort of ditched illustration. Um, yeah, let's do it. But but yeah, just to quickly answer that question was that now I feel that this work is as truly me as I could hope to be, I think. Okay. Um, don't feel conflicted in any way about it and it just feels like it sort of ticks loads and loads of boxes. Does it feel natural? It feels like yeah. you're doing it not for any other reason than than your connection to something beyond commerce beyond ego like yeah although i would admit it's hard it's you know when things when you do start selling things and you start talking to galleries and all that it's it's you've got to keep reminding yourself that the reasons you were doing it in the first place because it's easy to get kind of i mean i remember um a point where you know after i'd decided I wasn't an illustrator anymore and I was going to go and study counselling I had decided that I was never going to make any artwork ever again and it felt like a ginormous relief to just take this mantle off of being an artist and say that's not me anymore and 
like I could breathe again and it was like oh god okay great I don't have to make artwork ever again um and then I realized some way down the line I was actually in supervision because when you have when you see clients you need to have supervisors and you talk about your clients and you talk about your practice and mostly we talked about my clients a bit but we mostly talked about my ambivalence for actually being a counselor um and in one of those conversations where I wasn't sure whether I wanted to carry on being counselor or not um I suddenly realized that I was grieving for a, my artistic part of myself that I'd jettisoned um, and had sort of left behind and got really upset actually cried a lot like it was like someone had died and I was kind of grieving for them um, at which point I realized oh man I'm depressed about not making artwork anymore so when I sort of re when I started tentatively making images like I started a completely anonymous Instagram so that no one would know it was me because mm. I couldn't possibly say oh look everyone this is what I'm doing now you know because yeah. I didn't want to have that you know there'd been too many people that had or too many things I'd read I guess in the past that felt a bit critical and like oh you know Jasper old 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 fashioned or boring now or same old same old or whatever and I was like do you know what? I just want to get away from anybody knowing who I am making this work and I want to be free again I want to be I want to be like I was at university where nobody knew me and I could do what I want and yeah. there was no expectations of doing anything and um I remember the point where I'd showed the work to a few different people and um got really good responses and then a few people that I really respected and thought well, they just wouldn't they wouldn't just lie about the fact that they thought it was really good um and then I, I remember sort of facing this moment when I thought, oh, fuck, is this actually going to be a thing again? Like, could this be a new career? And it was quite difficult at that point because part of me felt I didn't want that pressure back again. So, so where did you go to university? At Brighton, okay. where I teach now. So I did the Brighton illustration course in 90, sort of like 92 to 95, something okay. like that. Um, I felt like illustration in the 90s was just open-ended. It felt like everything could and would happen. It was used on, on and in everything. There was still a lot of print media happening then. Yeah. Like, did you feel like all the opportunities were there for you while you were doing your work? Well, I think, I think what was very interesting was it was a much... Whilst it was uh, a huge explosion in the sort of early mid and mid-90s... Um, there was actually quite few of us doing it. You know, it wasn't like we didn't really have, well, we didn't have much of an internet and we didn't have Instagram. We didn't have, so, you know, people doing the sort of thing that I was doing was, there was only like, I don't know, 10 max. It was really small, like <laughs> yeah. in, in England, you know, yeah. it's like, it was a, you know, if you were in the face magazine and ID and everything, then that, that was really cool. And now, but now it's like, well, where, that's just, multiply that by thousands now and it's yeah. just like it's a sea of it yeah and and so i think then was really exciting because there was a lot you know i think pete fowler yeah. uh, me christian russell um graham ranthwaite who was the art director of the face but also an illustrator yeah and we were like the first people who were doing replacing photography so pete fowler um did the Fabergé Fusion um, perfume campaign. I don't know if you remember that. 
I so know it was like it's worked, but really well. But yeah, so it was like him and Graham Ranthwaite um, were where where you would normally have had a photograph of a model on a perfume ad. Suddenly, it was illustration, and there were a few, there were quite a few um, editorials in the face that would have been shot by a photographer, but instead it was illustration, okay. and that was the first point I think where illustration sort of I think it was coming out of a sort of I think in the 60s and 70s with all those album covers it, it had been really cool I think it got really sort of twee in yeah. the sort of late 80s yeah. and then it kind of came out again and suddenly started being aspirational started being like replacing fashion images which yeah. have always been that aspirational rather than it's like we always call it Clinton cards kind of illustration. Yeah. Like, rather than that, suddenly it, there was this mm. whole new breed of a few of us doing this kind of very grown-up, fashiony sort of ed, more much more edgy kind of stuff. And that I think, well, there are people that say that the the those of us that were in the face and ID in that days and stuff at the time sort of caused this huge proliferation yeah. of like various. Um, though there started being those illustration annuals that would come out mm -hmm. pen and mouse was the Absolutely. first one etc mm -hmm. etc and then it kind of blew up and everyone and it became really really cool and then it just became ubiquitous and then it just and now we are where we are now people copied what I did um, you had to continuously kind of then stay ahead of this sort of wave or this wave of you know people doing similar things and then you were like what am I gonna do that's different then mm. in order to stay fresh and and you know I think that the, the illustration world is a lot like fashion or it certainly was and I think it probably still is it's just like you know things are cool for a while and then they're not cool and then you have to do something else so if you don't change you just sort of you get lost um i think whereas photographers or maybe art directors and designers because they're always working on different campaigns with different people there's something more of a, an ability to stay fresh maybe easier than someone who's just like relying on their own internal sensibilities to kind of invent images um so it's partly just exhaustion about keep trying to reinvent myself then i was also um I think it was a mixture i think there was because i was popular people didn't want to use me mm. people either thought i was too expensive or i was overused and they were always going to look for a new no matter how much i reinvented what i did there was always like well let's look for the new 19 20 year old cool person who can budgets do something as different. well i think yeah. changing budgets yeah budgets um then there's the kind of like you know i'm getting older art directors got got younger um getting annoyed with jumping through commercial hoops that I just thought were, you know, probably shouldn't be illustration in the first place. Just be, do this as a photograph or do this as a piece of typography, but it's going to look rubbish if you want me to draw it. And I don't know. <laughs> so there was that. But then there was, you know, I think, I think this goes on to, uh, we were talking, we were talking in when, when we met last week about, did I talk about surrender? Mm -hmm. I think that was that point where, um, where, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was surrendering. I was completely surrendering. And I think this came up a lot in the psychosynthesis training where they talked a lot about surrender and, and how that 
that point where you really give up is when something new can be born and it's not something you can do on purpose or intentionally it's just something that happens to you like a relationship's got so old and you finally finally give up on it and then and then um out of that kind of blank space of nothing going on then some new stuff can grow and, I, and that's what's happened that's what happened to me i think and it's like my creativity never went away but i just just needed to sort of come out in a different way like a green shoot out of a ash ashen earth or something because because really it wasn't wholeheartedly in, in most cases it wasn't your fault that things ran aground anyway like i felt the paralysis of the need for newness in culture and the more people are making work, the harder it is for you to find your footing in what you'd want to make naturally. Mm. And like you say, in that at that point, I mean, 2014 was some years after Instagram, every, the proliferation of, of illustration and creative images in general was it hadn't quite hit that peak where no one really was looking at anything anymore. But it was much harder to find your ground, especially those feelings of feeling older and there being like lots of younger mm talent being celebrated by the all of the, the magazines and blogs all celebrate newness they need newness on a daily basis and i think it's baffling i think it's really baffling when you when you know i mean when i ask my students or when we have those conversations or when i think to myself about oh, what what do you want your work to be about it's just like oh, i don't know you know it's like what 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 is it that you want your work what and it's like what do you want to take a photo of what do you want to point your camera at it's like i don't know like and it, I think, a really, I think one of the, it's one of the key fundamental jobs of, of us as creative people is to try and shut our eyes to all that other stuff and try and listen to some little voice that's saying, I think this is interesting over here. Look, um, but I think it requires, I think it's a very, very quiet little voice, and it it gets really drowned out by all this noise, mm. and I think it's almost impossible to hear it for a lot of us um but i think it's really key that we do and it can and it can feel like embarrassing it can it can say embarrassing things it can say things that you think are stupid um and in fact i i had a a really visceral experience of it because i part of what started reignited things was i picked up a book called The Artist's Way, which you may mm -hmm. have heard of, yeah. by Julia Cameron. I've, I've, I've done The Artist's Way. And I started doing the things. I started writing the um, sides of A4, spontaneous writing, and I started going on artist dates. And my first artist date was going to the woods in the evening. I'd bought a new camera, a little Panasonic thing, and I just thought, I don't know, I didn't really mean to go and take a photo. I just wanted to just... I thought, OK, I've been me meaning to sort of go at dusk to the woods because I like that I thought I liked that vibe for ages and so I did that and I went to a place not far from here and there's a pond in the middle of the woods I find myself, found myself drawn to it and took some photos there with my head torch as it got dark and then just loved the atmosphere of being there as it got dark and then found my way home and then two days later I think I was writing um one of this you know the spontaneous writing that you need to do the artist pages what they call it mm -hmm. um and i started having a fantasy about a witch that lived under the weeds in the pond or some sort of forest spirit like there's a b 
being called the Rusalka in this Russian mythology who kind of comes out of a pond and like attacks travelers and drags them down and eats them and under the thing <laughs> under, the, under the water and I, I i was imagining this kind of female being kind of who sleeps under the weeds and comes out at night and um and i thought oh couldn't i couldn't i like fake the sightings of forest spirits kind of thing um and i heard a little voice in the back of my head going god that's a juvenile stupid idea isn't it and I thought oh fuck you this is exactly what Julia Cameron is talking about this I'm going to do it and yeah. I made a conscious decision to not to because uh, a part, part a whole point of those artist pages is to be able to make that voice really conscious Absolutely. you know you could hear that voice and to not to, rationalize it away yeah and to not sort of say well that's a stupid idea isn't it and so so that's what I started doing I would go out into the woods and take photos um and in order to be, to then f put some being some female figure or something in um, afterwards. Oh, here's a person right next to her. <laughs> Weirdos <laughs> in car parks in the middle of nowhere. I'll start that again. So, um, so I would go into the woods and take take photos of the dark forest, and then in order to sort of comp in a figure later. <laughs> so. To give some context to what's happening, we're in a in a <laughs> in a camper van in a car park, about to go out and walk through the woods uh, to to get a sh to do a shoot with Jasper. And there is a car circling us, sort of circling <laughs> us with the radio quite loud. It sounds like they're on the phone to we someone. Was wondering what they're going to do. I think they've gone now. Yeah, I think maybe they were just checking to see who who we were. Well, yeah. Um, so yeah, so you were talking about. Um, going to the woods to shoot to then yeah to then to then to get sort of source material to then create a fictionalized witch sighting i would call it and i would pretend that these were real like i'd just been out with the wandering around the woods with a flash on my camera because yeah. i was just doing head you know like the, that very front on kind of yeah. blair witch project style flash photography kind of thing um and it, that that that's unless there was i started this whole um, fantasy about a place called Augury Woods because Augury is like um, it's a form of like it's like if you saw like crows flying at dusk you might say that was like a sign that something a bad omen or whatever that's an augury oh okay I didn't so, know that yeah, that's it's like a sort of spell like it's a way of being able to tell the future so I called this I had an imaginary place called augury woods and you'd get to it by just going to the normal woods and if you walked far enough you'd sort of get lost and you'd end up in augury woods amazing and then you might find these weird beings and i had names for i had names for bits of the woods called one was called muddling thicket there was another <laughs> image i did which was uh, of it was uh, i just started gathering all the old landscape photos that i'd taken i'd taken some photos in japan of like this volcanic area and there was these dead trees and i had this, this made this kind of like um procession of witches around it a bit like the wicker man kind of thing yeah amazing i called that stinking pot <laughs> um, so I made up all these names so I had these fantasies about these places and that I did that for a bit and that was quite exciting and then I took a photograph that I didn't want to change and it was just like it had such a beautiful atmosphere I felt that I was like oh, I don't want to put a figure in that it's really mysterious as it is it's really beautiful as it is and after that I didn't really do that anymore and I just took photos of woods with nothing there like just darkness and I thought that was some more interesting.
There is a picture that was hung on our wall as a kid, and it was um, a George Stubbs painting, a print of a George Stubbs painting, and this guy, George Stubbs, painted a, at least 20 times this image of a white, uh, a white horse being attacked by a lion. Wow. And this particular photograph that we had was... He'd painted them all different times of day, but this one was nighttime, um, and it was very chiaroscuro, and it was this completely unnatural lighting because obviously you wouldn't, you know, it was just dark. It has like dark foliage, and there's this almost like spotlit on a stage, this lion attacking this beautiful white horse that looks kind of really freaked out. I wonder whether it was some sort of. I wonder now whether it was some sort of. Well, I think my mum put it up. I think it was. I think it was important image to her somehow sense of a sort of aggressor and this sort of white horse which mm. felt very feminine this lion which felt very masculine i wasn't quite i you know i wouldn't want to go into that too much but i think that i was very fascinated by that kind of the lighting that that came back to me that picture has never left my head but it came back to me at the at this point when i was starting to take these photographs and it felt really important and i um I had a conversation with my ex-agent who started talking about sublime, the sublime, the idea mm -hmm. of the sublime, which I started doing some reading about and came up with a Tate essay because there's this whole Tate library, which they've got essays in about the sublime. And the, you, it, it, its entire thesis was about this particular painting, wow. which was a complete epitome, it said, of... The Sublime, as articulated by Edmund Burke, who was like a philosopher in 1650-something who influenced a lot of the Romantic painters, like Turner and all, you know, the, the storms at sea and people painting volcanoes mm. and all these kind of terrifying events that you could kind of, by looking at a... Um, by looking at a painting or standing in front of a painting, you could get that very same feeling that I was talking about, about being in the car with my sister. Yeah. That sort of frisson of delightful fear of like, oh no, imagine if I was on that boat and it was a storm or standing underneath that volcano. Or look at these terrifying acts of violence of this horse being attacked by a lion. And it was just like really interesting to to come full circle. And my, my ex-agent who, who um, was talking about my photography was saying, well, you know, when you look at one of your pictures, you sort of can't help but to imagine yourself there in a dark forest being lost and on your own. Absolutely. And that yeah. is an, a, a sort of articulation of sublime, but in a very different way. Sublime, usually people sort of misinterpret the word to mean very beautiful or very amazing, but it's not actually that. It's much more specifically about the sense of being overwhelmed by natural beauty, natural beauty, but also terror oh, okay. you know like if you're lost at the top of everest or you see those you know mountain tops that you could die there right so it's like terrifying mm. idea but you are experiencing that vicariously so you're not actually you're not you're not going to get joy from um you know being attacked by a lion but yeah. the idea of viewing that violence sort of happening gives you this kind of like Whoa. It's like watching a horror movie, Absolutely, right? Yeah. Exactly. Like it's like early movie. drama as well. Like a lot of those old paintings and the way they're lit and the the epic sort of landscapes or the violence that they show, 
pre any type of entertainment we've got now beyond mm. plays or whatever would have would have happened at the time they are a spectacle mm. right these things would have been they indulged people's imaginations in ways mm. that their eyes had never been able to do mm. you know apart from if you experience something firsthand mm. so those kind of pictures are the early dramas mm. the early horror films you know yeah um yeah so it's just a so I think loads of stuff come, loads of images do come from childhood, but yeah. somehow they've sort of stuck there and been ignored for a long, long time and now are kind of all coming back. It's like some cork was unstoppered and came out. But I just love the, the fact that, that they're almost some of these things are ghosts of your subconscious as yeah, well. Like yeah. all of a sudden for you to be happy for the figure to be gone. Mm. And also you talk about the comfort of the woodland or you know mm. feelings you had of of when you are using your imagination to walk into a woodland and feel safe and feel warm and feel comforted and and those places would have been empty so are you quite a person who's happy on your own are you quite happy on your own not necessarily but i think there's a sense of i think the word that comes to me often in in when we're talking about this kind of thing is is reverence so there's a kind of um I do, I am fascinated by loneliness. I do appreciate moments where it's very still and I'm I'm on my own and I feel much more connected maybe spiritually with something at that point that I don't think I can feel when there's other people around because it's too distracting or you feel too comfortable. I think, I think there's something about feeling a little bit on edge because I think the word, I think reverence is a really good word because you love something but you're afraid of it as well you know that idea that that it's quite an old a sort of religious idea of the sort of fear of god you know on one hand you you love this entity but also it's quite frightening as well and i think that's how i feel about nature it's like it's at once nurturing but also it will just swallow it will swallow me up one day and i'll just become ashes and you know it, that that mom, idea. Was your mum quite a powerhouse? Were you in awe of yeah. her as well as as loving her? Oh, like, massively! That, yeah. She was a huge powerhouse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She she she's like she punched our next door neighbour in the face once because he, he used to tell us off for getting a ball out of his garden. <laughs> she had to go. <laughs> she literally smacked him in the face. Wow. She was full on. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> she was a very full on woman. But awe inspiring in many in many ways, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to paint her out to be just a sort of like bully or anything um, <laughs> she's a very sensitive woman she yeah. has a lot of lot of lot of um lot of um internal conflicts um but she was um she was the sort of person that would say pull your socks up or you know tough shit hard cheese it was a lot of her favorite sayings <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i didn't um, i do think a lot of my resilience has come from her hugely yeah um, but I don't know. That's thrown me slightly. Sorry. That took, yeah, no, took no, me I, was just, I was just thinking of this thing with the with the awe and and the the love and the horror films and, yeah. and a lot of the things you've talked about have this uh, this balance of these two things. You know, of, of this this awe or this slight fear and this enjoyment. Or and I think that tension seems really valuable in what you do now. Also, that I mean, and this is always me. I always put, you know my thoughts onto onto people i think we all do to a certain extent but you're going from wanting to escape this world of p perpetual constant newness 
and there's too much noise mm. to finding this place where mm. there's almost absolutely nothing. Mm. If you're in the dark and, the, and it's incredibly mm. quiet, you've mm. almost gone to the point where it's meditation. It's like yeah, nothing. Yeah. It's silence, you yeah. know, which is curious as well that you've completely gone on a divergent path to where you were headed when you were unhappy. Well, I think that the, I think that what you say about silence and and peace and I think that's really really important to me and and I, I, it doesn't you know you're right it's not just going to the woods it's going to the woods in the dark where there isn't going to be any people and I think that's quite an important thing it's like I quite like the idea that everyone's tucked up watching Strictly Come Dancing or whatever and I'm you know there's me in the woods on my own and it's cold and there's deer and owls and I'm having some sort of relationship that lots of other people aren't having and that feels really precious to me and it, it does feel like some sort of communion happening i suppose on some level where um it's it just feels a bit more well a lot more wild than there's a there was an idea this lovely image of um one of my psychosynthesis trainers talking about um analogies for the unconscious and talks about the sort of conscious mind those things that we our daily life the things that we know as being like the town or the village there's all it might be really boring and depressing but it's quite a safe and there's street lights and there's pavements and you know everything's quite sort of safe and sanitized and you know where you are and there's directions and all that and then outside the village is the dark forest and that's kind of threatening but possibly quite exciting and you might discover all sorts of terif terrifying but cool stuff there and i think that is the sort of the gateway to to some form of relationship with spirituality for me, I suppose, is is that walking out into that wildness. And I tried to do even like I tried to do proper proper wild things like wild camping up mountains and stuff, but yeah, you know, nearly blew my tent away and <laughs> <laughs> I just retreat. It was like I got uh, I got into the Lake District and I went wild camping on my own. First time I ever did it, and it was all fine until i pitched the tent and then the wind started so <laughs> so strongly i thought fuck i can't it's, not, it's just gonna blow the tent down so i had to take the tent down and the bag the tent blew away and it was all a bit of a disaster and i thought i'm not doing that again and, uh, <laughs> and i think like this 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 what i do now is a sort of partly a proxy for you know i, I do fantasize about you know i do look at sort of real adventurers you know that go off to i don't know where siberia and discover new things and I, I hold them in a lot of uh, reverence yeah. for those people I'm like wow I couldn't be that but this is my own little form of being a little bit scared and doing something a little bit wild you know I suppose rather than it just, it's not actually dangerous no but, but it feels but what like you can it do with your your subconscious yeah. is, is pretty amazing and you bring that back in the work as well like it's it definitely yeah, has definitely. that that feeling of I'm well, it could be somewhere dangerous, couldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could be. I mean, they, you know, there is a non-zero chance of there being an axe murderer out there. Yeah. A non-zero chance. Non -zero like that. chance. Well, we, we t I tell the kids all the time that, that you shouldn't be really scared of the woods because nobody's going to hang out in the woods waiting <laughs> for a victim, you know. Although, you know, it well, is... going to tell us something. <laughs> although, 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 you know, if you're going to bury a body, yeah. that's where you do it, right? Yeah nearly always on the moors or in the woods or somewhere it's like you don't just you don't well unless you're fred west and you've got a backyard <laughs> but you know, you know there are it's possible 
vaguely possible that so you we could, could come yeah, up. stumble across someone yeah, buried. Yeah, like I say, there is a non-zero chance. I yeah. mean, you know, that's yeah. I, I guess that's the interesting thing, isn't it, about the imagination? It's like it isn't actually. You know, you do hear about a body was discovered in the woods, yeah. right? We hear that quite yeah. a lot, mm. actually. Well, as people trying to hide, their sh they feel obviously ashamed of what they've done. They're trying to hide something as far away as possible. Well, that's what woods are good yeah. for. That's yeah. why they're scary, right? Because you can't see, especially in the dark, you can't see beyond a few feet in front of your face because there's just trees everywhere. And then behind them, it's just after the light's gone, it's pitch black. And, I think and it that's has that what's... subconscious, isn't it, that you talk about as well? It is all... Uh, a representation of the subconscious it's like a the dark exactly unknown. exactly i mean they you they you know there's a there's an analogy that gets used a lot which is called the, which is like the light of consciousness it's like you're it's like when you put your consciousness on something you like shine a torch on it and you can mm. like you were saying with your you know reimagining houses you used to yep. go in right you're it's like you're walking around with a torch because you don't you can't remember what's in that far off room until yep. you get there absolutely and it's like that when you're walking through the woods it's like you don't know what's 10 yards ahead of you until you're there and then your torch can reveal it and yeah. I think that's exactly like the, how the unconscious works how our minds work is that there's all sorts of stuff in there in your head and you don't know it until it comes into the light of your consciousness then you see or become aware of a thought or because you can't whatever. put your focus all places all of no. the time you're, whether it's your visual fo visual focus or your inner focus no. so it's exactly like someone stumbling around a big dark room with a light <laughs> with a torch <laughs> just like that also like i think i think we should get out and do a mm. walk in a minute but I, but i think um you were talking earlier almost about uh, throwing down a challenge to yourself when you were talking about horror films when they they badly light the woods and there's mist and fog and things for light to bounce off and mm. it's almost somewhere in your mind you were thinking i'm going to get out there and i'm going to try and get an accurate ish representation of how i feel the woodland at, at night should look like and it's almost as though you've well you have managed that and the, there's nobody whose work is is like yours and i'm not oh, well. sort of trying just just to pay you lip service it's, i've not seen work no, like it at all and it feels like you're managing to create the dialogue between how you feel how it makes you feel mm. and how and and what it actually is mm -hmm. i mean there's something like calming and deeply unnerving to mm. the pictures at the Brilliant. same time Good. you know I'm glad that, <laughs> that's music to my ears because i yeah i'm not i i'm not i mean i have i suppose i have the images that are in my head i suppose are i guess the closest thing would be like illustrations in a fairy tale book i suppose yeah. you know that's the closest thing in my head that's the sort of atmosphere i want to create that kind of theater like experience where it's almost spotlit and it's very in the sort of you know when you're in the theatre it's sort of an enclosed feel right yeah. and there's the spotlights mm. on the stage yep. and everything's kind of focused on that little one spot and I want to kind of and that feels like the George Stubbs painting and it yep. feels like a lot of illustrations that I see in my head like feels like the illustrations from Dante's Inferno in yep. fact um, they're the same they're like these like weird you know mountainous areas that are all in the dark but there's somehow some sort of mysterious mystical lighting that's yeah. lighting the figures there right and it's like where's this coming from it's like where's the light coming from it's like it's dark but then it's obviously got to be lit otherwise yeah. you couldn't draw anything yeah. right so i like that idea of this kind of photographs but they feel to me more like old paintings i suppose absolutely that's what i hope anyway Hope you're enjoying the episode uh, we're just jumping in in the middle here just to uh, give you a few messages um, 
just to let you know that we're really happy to be back. We absolutely love doing this podcast. And uh, if you're enjoying it and you love it, please pass on the uh, information. Tell people about it. Tell your friends, tell your family, play it to your dog. <laughs> Uh, we really would love to hear from you regarding who you think we should speak to next Uh, so follow us on Twitter follow us on Instagram uh, drop us your recommendations let us know where our blind spots are yeah for uh, for us it's really just about the adventure isn't it talking of adventures um, the next section is us wandering around the woods uh, with Jasper so uh, yeah enjoy the second half Head torches on. <laughs> yep. Let's head off into the darkness. Right, so we're heading off into the woods with Jasper, aren't we? We certainly are. Um, just wanted to ask you, Jasper, what, what uh, why, why, why are you taking us here? These um, woods, okay, so these woods aren't Forestry Commission. They're privately owned, but we can. We've got permission to be in certain bits of them. Okay. And so you can see there's some much. You can see this huge oak tree here. Yeah. So there's some quite old trees. It's an old estate, um, and they tend to be. They tend to not get so decimated as often the Forestry Commission would do. But there's also a particular tree in these woods where. Uh, I think there's a spruce plantation, and I think it was a young oak that's died because it can't right. get enough light. Um, so it's this kind of, I don't know, quite, it's a sort of, you've got all these straight trunks and then this sort of gnarled dead tree in the middle of it all, which is, I, I suppose, kind of sad, but also looks quite dramatic. So how so do you, go there. how do you choose your locations usually, is it? You, you kind of there is a lot of wandering walking around right um, you know lots of times it's very disappointing you sort of think oh I'll go and check out that bit of woodland um, you might see something on a map and think it maybe looks interesting and then go there and then nine times out of ten it's kind of a bit disappointing yeah but occasionally something happens like you see like that tree so let's go and look at this. Okay. Because wow. this like, you, you know, wow, look at that. Is that an oak? We'll, get a, we'll get a picture oh, of that. Beach. Okay. It's a really, really, really old beach. Wow. So I've got a picture of this because I've photographed this a couple of times now. Um, it looks much more dramatic when you've got the side lighting on it. Um, wow, it's fast. How tall would you say that is? No idea. It's, it's huge, <laughs> but it's massive, isn't it? It's like huge, thick. I'd say that's probably three, four hundred years old. Wow. It's a big, big, big beech tree. And lit with three head torches, it's quite uh, dramatic, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, when, when you've got side lighting on, you, it's like really amazingly muscular. Um, it's just like huge sinewy. It's like, it's like a load of writhing pythons stuck together in one totally. blob, isn't that's it? That's exactly what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... You know, and you and you, you know, you just got to walk around, and then you know, you know, that's that thing about woods. You just might just turn a corner and see something that's worth photographing. And you know, one of the difficult things is that 
This happens to me all the time actually. I'll go out, scope out a bit of woodland, be absolutely sure that I've got a composition and then wait for it to get dark and then just go, oh, it doesn't work at night because it's, you know, it's very different. This bit's... Um, I was going to say, I've just, <laughs> walk, I've just walked walk. through a really boggy uh, pet. I'm wearing an appropriate footwear, just... Uh, and, and, then, and then you have to resort to sort of wandering around in the dark and because, you know, stuff that's... Stuff that works in the day often doesn't work in the night because yeah. the light is all different. And stuff that doesn't, stuff that you just wouldn't notice in the in the daytime, suddenly jumps out when you shine a torch on yeah. it and it looks completely different. So, you know, I think there's sort of some degree, some trees I know. Okay, I'll be able to take a good photo of that. But sometimes it goes wrong, and I just have to. You know, I went to Dartmoor a couple of weeks ago. Was absolutely sure that I was going to photograph this collection of trees, and then. Yeah, didn't look good. Oh man. So then I was like, oh, okay. And then I wandered round and luckily there was, you know, quite near it was a better composition. Um, some of it is just lo like lots and lots, quite extensive web searching for images and then just trying to work out where... There is a, there is an uh, ancient tree inventory. The Woodland Trust have one. Um, where people just... Anybody who's interested in big trees or old trees can, um, you know, measure how wide this tree is and log it, and then it goes it goes onto a map. And sometimes they've, well, quite often there's photographs of them. But I do spend quite a lot of time on this in this ancient tree uh, map, sort of looking, and then and then going on ordnance survey maps and Google Earth and sort of triangulating, working out where certain trees are. Um, but I think trees are, you know, lots of old trees are not necessarily photogenic or um, in the right place or quite often they'll be a great tree and it's just right on a, in a fence or on a hedgerow. Oh, you yeah. know, it's like so many trees are like, oh, amazing tree, but it's right by a road or which you know, takes it's away not the really mystique, a photograph, doesn't it? Completely. Yeah, you know, it's. I mean, a big, a big plus to what I do is that, you know, sometimes I feel like it's a little bit cheating, but you can just take. It's like being in a studio. You can just take backgrounds away because obviously it's black. So the tree that we saw earlier had a scraggly holly bush behind it. In the day, it's not a particularly good shot, but in the night, because you can just kind of isolate. Um, the tree with the darkness and with the light um, you can you can uh, make subjects out of things that wouldn't necessarily be oh, everyone's subject because you'll see a lot of photography a lot of woodland photography you'll see shot in fog um, because that helps isolate and give a sense of depth because it's you know you can see in here it's so chaotic and so much going on in terms of foliage and branches and all that sort of stuff unless you can isolate it with light or with fog so you're isolating foreground against background with a layer with a sort of veil of mist um so i don't use mist but i use light instead so you sort of highlight the areas you want and block out the ones you don't yeah because you you get it, it's much simplified you know so you see if you look up at this larch here right you can really see that those sort of tendrils coming down right with a black background behind it in the day you wouldn't really be seeing that how how, how that yeah. looks now because there was so much stuff behind it 
There'd be so you, many tones of green, wouldn't everything there? Everything would be yeah. there behind it. You can't, you know, that suddenly is quite a beautiful thing, it's right? It's very dramatic. Yeah. It's and, like and kind of eerie as well. Yeah, really eerie. Like really eerie. Like swamp, swampland kind yeah. of eerie. And because we've got this light, and light does this thing where it um, falls off quite quickly. You know, it dis, it can only reach a certain distance before it just becomes weak. We're not lighting everything behind it. We're just getting that. We pull the focus to the thing that's there instead yeah. of being distracted. Yeah. yeah. So when you're on your own, it's sort of a different uh, yeah. thing, right? Very. <laughs> do you, do you um, normally do these on your own? Yeah, always. Always. Pretty much always. Once or twice, I've had Sana, who's my wife, come with me. But nine times out of ten or more, um, on my own. Yeah, totally. Wow. Okay. What what kind of uh, interactions with nature have you had? The worst one I've had, which did really scare me, was I was in um, Afghan forest, and we were in. I was in this really tall. I say we because there was a fox, <laughs> but I was in this really tall, like waist high grass. So it looks like African savanna almost. Wow! And um, I had my this pole which I use, which is an extending pole with a which I can put a light on. And um, I heard off in the distance this kind of, you know, when foxes make that really weird kind of yeah, unearthly, yeah. screamy noise. Yeah. <clears throat> and I thought, oh, there's a fox over there. What? I, um, and then it started running towards me. And it was like in, um, I don't know, is it Tremors, that horror movie or something? Yeah. It was yeah. like the, gra- the grass was like shaking. Like coming towards me, like a total like cheesy <laughs> horror movie. And it was just all I could see was this sort of shaking grass, like coming towards me. And um, <clears throat> I just kind of shouted and and um, waved a little bit. And uh, it it realised that it was a. I think it was freaked out what what my light was. But then it realised and described a beautiful arc and ran away from me. But for a little while, I thought, oh my god, it's going to attack me. Wow. <laughs> well, you were you able just, to settle just, again afterwards? Yeah, I was okay after that. I think we should stop because I think this is a sort of perfect example oh, yeah. of something that kind of turns me on. These oh. kind of... I love how you see how the pine needles have like fallen and they're like hanging. Yeah. Like little oh, dead yeah. birds or something. And there's sort yeah, of weird incredible. sort of dead world underneath the pine. I just love all these like, straight, straight trunks that just disappear into blackness. So we're currently stood looking at um, a dense evergreen sort of woodland. What trees are these? Are these are Scots pine. Young Scots, Scots pine. Young Scots pine, and they're really densely planted, so it falls away into darkness really uh, quickly. But yeah, amazing. Another larch here. They've got good. They've got. They look good in the winter, actually. Was your knowledge of trees always good, or is it grown? As, uh, as actually, you've done yeah, this that was, my mum was quite good at teaching me about different trees. I think she knew quite a lot about stuff. Um, so I think, yeah, I think from an early age, I sort of. I mean, I, I wouldn't say there's lots of trees I don't know, but lots of them I do. Um, I think because we we always go on lots of country walks and. And my mum grew up a lot in the countryside and so she, I mean she used to walk around the supermarket 
pointing out everything. She'd go cantaloupe. <laughs> she would just like, I don't know, it's just things she would do. She just used to point stuff out all the time, I suppose. But it's great to have that knowledge, though, of, of trees or yeah, of nature and, and the need to share the knowledge that most people would forget to share. Well, I like to know what I'm photographing. You know, I like to be able to yeah. say, well, these are birches or that's a beach or that's an oak or whatever. Um, I feel that's quite important. So if I, if I ever photograph some sort of tree that I didn't actually know what it was, I'd go to great efforts to work out what tree it was. It also then helps you to understand which trees you sort of have a fancy for, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Is there a type of tree that you <coughs> that you think that you that you particularly like? I think like probably most often beech trees, actually. Okay. Um, I think I really love the smooth bark. You know, that one that we were looking at earlier. Yeah. Is this kind of you really see the sinewiness of the the forms of the tree. Um, I used to really like pine, like these Scots pine, but sort of gone, got over that phase now. And I think beech, I really want to photograph some really old oak now. Yeah. That's the next thing. Um, but often they don't grow terribly shapely. Well, I mean, okay. Off, yeah. And their, their bark is a lot more, um, r- much more rough. But yeah, so I see, I suppose, I suppose beech at the moment is my favorite. With pine, you're almost photing a, photographing a, a collection of trees. Yeah, <coughs> I wouldn't, pho- you know, be, there are some, you know, like I'm going to go and photograph the major oak in Sherwood Forest. Oh, okay. Um, probably over Christmas some point. So I feel like those, you know, those oaks that are hundreds of years old, they were taking kind of portraits of, I suppose, whereas, you know, very few pines would be. They're not old enough, really. How often do you come back to like the same kind of trees? Almost never. I mean, I'm, I'm bringing it here because I know where it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, it would be interesting to, to photograph things at different times. I have, I've, I've definitely, I think I've improved a lot in the year or two. I think I could take better photographs than I could two years ago, certainly. So it might be interesting to um, come back to certain places. Yeah. That is pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's almost like you just, you know when you know. Yeah. It's sat there amongst... Exactly. All of these other... Are these Scots pine, did you say? Oh, these aren't. No, these are... I don't know what they... They're probably Sitka spruce. Okay, and and we have a completely different species of a plant, uh, completely dead. Yeah, I think that's wizened. A, that's an, a wizened. It's an oak that would have been um, growing here naturally, and then when they planted these, which are going to ultimately be, I suppose, cut down at some point for yep. timber, they just they just choke out all the light, so this yeah. tree hasn't lived. Um, there's a few of them around if you walked over there you'd see more but this is the this is the sort of best shape it's only about half the height of the yeah the trees all around it yeah and you'll often see this in in these deep deep sort of pine woods is you you know if you're lucky photographically wise you'll kind of come across 
a sort of really interesting um, shaped wizened looking thing and I like how you know the, even the forms simplified so a lot of the sort of <clears throat> twiggy bits and obviously gone from it and it's just down to its bare barest bones yeah. as it were so it becomes a simpler form and um, when I took this photograph the first time um, I ended up naming it Dance Macabre because it's kind of like the way I lit it it's almost like it's standing on a stage so it looks like a sort of Tim Burton yeah. dancing skeleton yeah. kind of thing because all these all these pines uh, sorry these spruce around it they frame it kind of really perfectly so it does look like it's kind of performing a sort of macabre dance on a stage of some sort absolutely it's it, it has those qualities you talked about earlier as well with the uh, old sort of fairy tale yeah. uh, illustration yeah, qualities it's kind of creepy and beautiful simultaneously. Yeah, you can you can totally imagine an old, you know, an illustration with a, there's some sort of old crone talking to a imp or something. <laughs> 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 so we get the stuff out. Yeah. Luckily, I've done. I know where to stand because I know that this is the only angle to shoot this tree from. <coughs> um, first time I shot it I spent quite a lot of time walking around and working out where to go. And did you find this during the day? Oh, yeah I did. Yeah. yeah. Do you um, come out with Santa during the during the day for these walks to get or do you come out on your own for yeah, the so, you know, quite often we might just be, you know, I might just be on a um, you know, just an afternoon walk anyway. Um, if I'm lucky, I'll see something. But you know, very often I will do, like, intentional scouting walks. Um, you know, so I'm, like, part of my practices. You know, I'm going to go out and either drive around and look for interesting trees in fields or I'm going go to a, go to a wood that I've not been to and walk around it or... You know, spend a bit. It's, it takes a long time to find decent trees. Are there any um, foreign locations that you would love to to shoot in? I mean, yeah. There's, I think there's bits of the Black Forest in Germany that would be really oh, cool. Yeah. Um, there's a forest on the coast of it's the north coast of Germany, sort of opposite Denmark. It's just this particular bit of woodland by the sea, and it's just got these incredible, incredible regimental sort of beech trees. People, a lot of people have shot there, but I think um, that's definitely somewhere I'd like to, like to go. But I think oh, I don't know. At the moment, it's just you know Scotland. I need to spend more time up there. North Wales. I think there's enough. There's enough here. Yeah. Keep me going for a long, long time. For a while, I struggled with this, with this sort of sense of wanting to make something epic, as it were, um, and then quite quickly realised that that would make me just look like everybody else, um, and that oh, that I was actually that I was drawn to these kind of darker, mysterious, more scraggly, I don't know, you know, these kind of English woodland. Yeah, yeah, they're British really woodland. English woodland, aren't they? These trees. Yeah, totally. You know, it is, it is proper 
old English fairy tale yeah. type of stuff. And I think you know, there's something about just trusting some little, you know, that little inner, inner voice that I was talking about that that's saying, you know, well, I find this interesting. I find this atmospheric and I look at these, this dried bracken in the torchlight and I get excited by that. And having to trust that if I like that, someone else might like that. And I think that's what you were saying <laughs> earlier, isn't it? Like, that's all you've got really as an artist, I think. It's just like, you have to follow your your practice and what excites you and then just hope that that resonates with other people. You know, if we want to talk technicalities for a minute, these are the nights that I need. I happen to know that the, you know, it's, it's about five miles an hour. You can see a little movement in the, you can see just in the torchlight as I breathe. Yeah. Little oh, yes. Move, but it's not enough to really move the bracken because I'll be taking probably five or six or more exposures. One of the things that's good about dead trees is they don't move, right? So Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can see, I noticed earlier, a tiny bit of movement up oh, there in yes. the spruce, but it's not really enough to bother me. I, th- I think as long as like my main subject is more or less still, I don't mind a bit of movement. I've shot things in much windier conditions than this, but if you shoot big trees, then the, the trunk's all nicely in focus, and then you just get little bits of movement in the... Um, in the leaves and actually it looks quite nice it looks like sort of a weird depth of field phenomenon of some sort yeah because you get these bits of blurred blurred movement next to really sharp things and i think it can work but mostly i would look for still nights like this and some trees this would be too much for so i've shot some hemlocks i've got a kind of panorama of hemlocks um that i had to reshoot three three times before i could get it sharp enough because even the tiniest breath of wind they've got these really sort of bouncy boughs and lots and lots of needles the tiniest breath of wind just moves them and loads of stuff's out of focus oh man um yeah some trees are easier than others Thanks for listening to No Ideas. It's great to be back. And thanks so much to Jasper for coming on the podcast. Thanks to Tomino for the music, as always. And thanks to our long-suffering partners for allowing us out of the house to do another interview. Please tell your friends, tell your pets, tell anyone who you think might enjoy the podcast. um, And definitely let us know who you think we should be speaking to in the future.